When the Bible calls a man and woman one flesh in a marriage, that it is supposed to be a human expression, tangibly, of the one spirit connection that's between Christ and the church. But when you do sexuality God's way, although it may seem it takes a little bit more sanctification and discipline, it is with the purpose that you'd experience pleasure forevermore. When he said, be fruitful and multiply, the Hebrew there is trying to say, reproduce what's in you. You know, reproduce that that image and likeness, the actual glory of God. Like you're actually recreating, adding more of that, filling the world with the glory of the Lord. Dear young married couple, you're in a busy season of your life. You're probably working and involved in ministry. On top of that, you might even be parents or students. You're maxed, but you really want to stay connected in your marriage. And that's why we're bringing this podcast to you. I'm Adam King. And I'm Carissa King. And we work with busy couples just like you in our counseling office here in Sacramento, California. We also work with couples all over the world through online counseling. And our couples are really just looking for ways to communicate with each other more effectively. Some of them are looking to heal from a breach in trust or find direction in fulfilling the purpose that God has for them. So come and join us as we have a conversation. We'll talk with therapists, authors, pastors, and other couples who will pour into us, giving us tools to become more intimately connected, get adventurous, and find purpose. Welcome to the Dear Young Married Couple podcast. Today we are talking about the power of sex as God intended it. And we have a guest with us today, David Grams. He is an author of five books, um, and one of them is called Undefiled, which is exactly what we're interviewing him about today. I think you're going to find this conversation fascinating and um, very enlightening biblically. So looking forward to getting into this. Well, David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's a privilege. We um, have read your book. I know you have several books, but we've read your book Undefiled, and um, it has so many good nuggets for folks who desire to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord and also to have a good sex life and have a good understanding of sex and sexuality in their marriage. So we appreciate mm-hmm. the work that you're putting out there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the comment. Aww. Well, we're curious. Um, how did you come to write a book like this? What mm-hmm. What's the story behind it? Yeah. So the story goes back to when I was about 13 years old. Uh, growing up, I was also in a very conservative household where sex wasn't really talked about. Um, if I had brought it up to my parents, they would have addressed it, but it would have been very brief. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I wasn't just given the privilege of a lot of conversation around that. And it was always going to be, if I had conversation with friends that I probably shouldn't have had conversations with anyway <laughs> at that right. age. Um, and so, but thankfully when I was about 13 or 14, I just took an interest in, it wasn't necessarily just sexuality, but marriage in general, mm. because my parents were very open with talking about marriage and mm. uh, the virtue of it. Uh, mm. But I, didn't really know anything about the sexual side of things. Mm -hmm. And so it started with just looking into marriage. And I, when I was 13, it was when I first started writing actually what was a list of, I called them qualifications at the time, but there are more guidelines uh, for for what I would look for in in a future marriage. And so I started just really just studying into the topic of, of marriage and sexuality and not just the you know, logistics of them, but the, the purpose behind the big why, you know, I wanted to know why. At and 13, so, this is pretty deep thinking. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, 
being being an introvert, I've always been very introspective and reflective and whatnot. And um, even though I didn't, I wasn't able to talk a lot with my parents, I was able to think for myself, you know? Mm. And so I asked all these big questions. I remember writing them down. I had journals, still journaling to this day and um, several journals. It was just filled with just all these, these questions I had and, and mm. answers. And so I look into scripture. And so then I started dating when I was probably about... I would say 19 or so 19 or 20. And by this time I had spent these, what would have been roughly about eight years of just all this preparation. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it at the time, but by the time I started dating, I was so ready. I knew exactly what I was looking for, exactly what the purpose was, exactly what sex was for, what everything was about. And I had had all of the content that's in undefiled in the book, just basically contained in all these journals that I oh, had. Wow. Mm. Um, and so it was in notes that I put in my phone in mm -hmm. my laptop in paper journals and all this stuff. And, um, and so then when I started dating and, and met my wife, I just kind of laid it all out. And I said like, Hey, this is why I'm doing this. And yeah. um, you on board, you know? And so we only, <laughs> we only, <laughs> we only dated for a month. Oh my goodness. Um, oh my goodness. And then wow. we got engaged. Yeah. Aww. And so there is a, um, really cool story to that as well, which I won't mm. get into. Um, but you knew, but you was... knew exactly what you wanted. You had done a lot of prayer and research and just clear clarity was there for you. Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah. exactly. And so the, the biggest questions that inspired actually compiling all these notes into the book, Undefiled, was this big question of number one, there's gotta be more to sex than just the, you know, physical pleasure of it. There's gotta be more mm -hmm. to it, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and just looking around me, it seemed like that was, that was the big talk. That was what everyone was talking about is just, you know, the pleasure of it. And mm -hmm. I just was like, Lord, knowing you, knowing that you're a spirit, what, what is it about sex that's spiritual, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and it's gotta be more than something just physical because I look around me and all the marriages that I grew up observing uh, my, my parents had a pretty good marriage. I, I don't really have any, um, I guess, hurts from their relationship. But just looking mm -hmm. outside of that, I remember in the church I grew up in, it, everybody was always talking about those struggling marriages, you know? Mm. Yeah. And then I just started asking myself the question, well, does sex have anything to do with what's causing that difficulty in that marriage? Is Is it directly tied to that at all? Mm -hmm. You know? So those were the two big questions. What's is sex spiritual? If it is, what's the purpose behind it? Number two, is there some kind of tie between the health of a marriage and then, you know, a person's understanding of sexuality? Yes. So, so I looked into that and just came to all of these, I would just call them revelations that completely mm -hmm. changed everything. Um, I had just like any, you know, 11, 12, 13 year old kid, I had some uh, unwanted and, you know, just incidental exposure to pornography and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, mm -hmm. um, and it just, it, it twisted things. It skewed things. And so that was also what fueled um, just my pursuit of understanding this. Yeah. And I remember the first thing um, that I put in my journals that I ended up adding into Undefiled, that was like the big, the big first revelation for me was the fact that when the Bible calls a man and woman, one flesh in a marriage, that it is supposed to be a human expression tangibly of the one spirit connection that's between Christ and the church or, mm -hmm. or God and his people. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I was like, okay, so there's very obviously something spiritual about this. Right. And at this time, I probably was about 15 or 16. 
And this is when I really started to develop a relationship with God and intimacy with God. And I was so in love with Jesus that I just was like, okay, so I'm one spirit with Christ. The Bible says in first Corinthians six seventeen that mm-hmm. because I'm joined to the Lord, I'm one spirit with him. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay. And then Paul says in that very same chapter that even if you're joined to a harlot, you become one flesh. And I thought, okay, so this one flesh thing Genesis talks about is about sex. Mm-hmm. And if the one flesh thing is supposed to reflect the one spirit thing, then there's something about my intimacy with God that's supposed to be reflected in a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that just blew my mind. I was like, wow, like, okay, so whatever I'm experiencing with God in this like private place of my intimacy with him, with the door shut, you know, just like Jesus said, go into that secret place and pray. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something about sex that reflects that, you know, mm-hmm. and it made me realize ultimately that I'm actually supposed to be it's almost like I'm supporting my intimacy with God and the intimacy with God of my spouse mm-hmm. in our sexual relationship. Right. And so there's, it's actually kind of fueling the spirituality of our lives and in, in, in our relationship yeah. with God. And cause it's an expression of, it's a manifestation of that relationship that you have with exactly. God. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's awesome. And, so- and that made, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, and you're probably going to going to answer it, but our, mm-hmm. our first question that we really had for you ha- has to do with this whole purpose of sex. Like why did God create sex? Cause that was mm-hmm. a big risk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With yeah. all the perversion that God knew mm-hmm. it could entail, he still created it and called it good. So talk mm-hmm. to us about the purpose. Yeah. yeah. Why did God create sex? I'd love to. Yeah. So there's really, uh, I would say, two primary things that I would say comprise what the purpose of sex is. Um, Number one, before I say what those are, there has to be this preliminary understanding that the devil wouldn't be, or our enemy wouldn't be so just bent on perverting sexuality and destroying it with all the energy he can muster if it wasn't powerful. Um, And so it's interesting that when you look into, especially Galatians and Colossians, when Paul lists all the things to avoid and what we're to put off mm-hmm. in Christ, first thing on the list is always something to do with sexuality, yeah. whether it's adultery or fornication or uncleanness or lewdness or whatever. He always mm-hmm. mentions it first. And so he's like, if there's one thing you avoid, it's this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember asking myself that question of, you know, why, 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 why is he so, uh, so adamant about saying to avoid these things? And why is the devil attacking this so much? It's gotta be powerful, you know? Mm-hmm. So number one, God created sex because it has power, you know, mm-hmm. and the power that it has or what that power looks like then gets into the, the two things I think they learned about what the purpose of sex is. Number one is that it's supposed to be, like I already mentioned, a reflection of the one spirit relationship we have with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so what that's intended to do is create this intimacy with each other that you have with Christ. And so when we look at our relationship with God, we uh, as Christians tend to have this concern over how we can feel more loved by him or how we can experience him. And in many cases, it's like, well, in church and Bible studies and prayer meetings, we want to experience God. We want to encounter God, whatever that looks like. And we're, it's like, we're always looking for something tangible. People, they want to see something, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just realized, man, if God created marriage with a man and woman to look just like Christ in the church, Mm. and if sex is specifically the thing that he says really gets into the root intimacy of that one spirit relationship we have with Christ, 
then the relationship I have with my wife is actually me tapping into the love of God in a way that is tangible. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's more, as far as experiencing something physically, it doesn't get much more tangible than that, yeah, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And so that, that, that was like the, the first realization of purposing like, Oh my goodness, I could, I actually get to experience God. You know? That's good. Yeah. And it's like the ultimate body, mind, spirit manifestation. Like it's, it's exactly holistic, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Every part of your being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that, like I brought that into uh, my relationship with my wife when we got engaged and started talking about sexuality and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, we just kind of talked into this and learned this and built this understanding together mm-hmm. um, or refined it as I should say. Mm-hmm. So that entering into marriage, it was like, it was like, it was no different than the intimacy with God that I already had, you know, mm. it wasn't separate. Cause sometimes people think like, Oh, sex is, you know, it's detached from your spirituality. And yeah. it's like, God looks away when you have sex, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, it's just a shameful thing. And yeah. to know that God is actively involved and, mm. um, and that he's pleased with it and that there's a real sense of worship and intimacy with him in it. It makes mm-hmm. it a spiritual experience more than physical. Yeah. Um, and that, and that produced an intimacy I have with my wife that, is reflective of the relationship we have with Christ and, mm-hmm. and uh, every, every facet of it. So that's like the, the first thing is that it's how you can experience more of God in a tangible way. Mm. Um, and the second thing has to do with the kind of taking that inward or internal experience and turning it outward so that the world sees it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if God were to take that intimacy that we have with Christ and through it transform us, so that we begin to look like Christ and reflect him everywhere we go. Then when I actually grow in this intimacy that I have with my spouse, the world is going to then see the effect that that has had on our relationship mm-hmm. and see the love of God in it. And so it was this understanding that if, when I'm with Christ in secret, I become more like him. And, and the Bible just describes it this way that uh, it's in first John three, it says that when we see him, we'll be like him. So when I have this experience of Christ, it changes me, it transforms me, it makes me more like him. So that means if that, that, that spiritual nature of things is brought into my marriage and I share that intimacy with my wife, then that is actually going to change and transform and mold the, uh, it's almost like the message that our marriage preaches to the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that, that made me realize that really sex is not about you know, it's not about me necessarily. Um, or it's, it's not even really just about my wife. Like if I say, yes, it's about her, you know, there's that selflessness in there, but it's really about how this affects our marriage in a way that the world can witness. Mm-hmm. And so it changed this into an outreach focused endeavor. So that way there's a transcendence mm-hmm. to it. It's not just about her and I, you know, that's so good. because people tend to think that, well, you know, sex is just about my wife and I, or my husband and I, and it's what we do. And we don't talk about it because it's between us, but wait a second. Like I'm not, it's not just really about whether you talk about your sex life with other people. This is about, is your marriage bold? Are you, is, can the world see what's in your marriage? Can they see the love of God in it? And if sexuality is supposed to be a one way, God kind of charges that marriage with his love, mm-hmm. then I'm supposed to be pursuing a sex life knowing that it's going to bring more of Christ into our relationship. So good. Mm, that's good. What would you say to someone who would be like questioning and saying, well, okay, if that's true, then like, what about the people that don't have Christ in their life that are having sex? How does that represent 
God or be worship in, in that marriage. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's like the defeater in people's minds. They could see, okay, that sounds good, but what about these other people that are obviously not, you know, they're on Tinder or whatever else mm-hmm. having free sex and how is that worship? Right, right. Yeah, so number one, you know, we understand that not everything we do is honoring to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that I have kind of understood things and the way that the Lord taught to me when I was a kid was uh, growing up also as a musician, I play guitar. I um, always had acoustic guitars around me all the time. And one time when I was praying and just learning about the subject, um, just the Holy Spirit just ministered this to me that that guitar has a purpose and I can take that guitar and chop it up for firewood. And, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up in the country, but we, we had a lot of bonfires and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, ways we weren't supposed to, but but I I was splitting wood a lot. My my dad had a wood stove to heat the house in the winter time. And so I was always splitting wood and in the winter Um, and I I enjoyed it. And so I was thinking Mm -hmm. about my guitar and it's like, yeah, this, you know, it's dry wood. I can burn it. It would burn for a little while, but it's not made for that. You know, it's going to provide me some warmth for a little while, but it's, that's not the purpose, you know, Mm -hmm. then I honor the maker of that guitar by using it for music more than if I just turn it into firewood, you know? And so it's not that sex in general is all and always worship. It's that even though sexuality expressed and we were designed to be sexual beings, that sexuality itself has a purpose and it needs to be set aright. You know, it needs to be Mm -hmm. rectified. Mm -hmm. And so for the person that is, you know, not in relationships that are honoring to God, Mm -hmm. um, it is essentially taking what God did intend for pleasure and wanting to enjoy those benefits mm-hmm. at the cost of really what is the power of, of, of sexuality or the power that mm-hmm. God says is in it for the purpose of good, you know, yes. it, would be, it would be like taking that guitar and enjoying something about it, that it keeps me warm in the winter if I burn it, but I'm completely removing from it. What is going to provide that just joy and happiness through music to everyone around me? Lasting right. joy and happiness. Lasting mm-hmm. joy. Right. Yeah. And so you can, you know, you can enjoy sex. In many cases, people would say, hey, like, you know, pornography and sleeping around, there's a lot of great pleasure in it that sometimes people would say is better than it is in marriage, you know. Mm-hmm. But but it's deceiving because it's causing a person to want to enjoy, you know, the pleasure of that intimacy at the cost of or without the the intended purpose and power that does bring a permanent uh, lasting joy into your life because Mm -hmm. the bible says and this is just kind of an interesting thing that i put i put in undefiled and i think it's in the third chapter or so that god does like pleasure you know Mm -hmm. he did create sex for pleasure and the bible says in the psalms 16 that in his uh, presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore you know Mm -hmm. and so if at his right hand is pleasure then mm. he, he likes pleasure, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, and and the, the key word in there is that it says is pleasure forevermore. And yes. so it's eternal. Right. And the, the thing that's really the lie about sexuality outside of God's design is that it's temporary. Mm-hmm. It, it can make you feel good for a while, but it ends in death. And that's why the Bible says, Sin, when it's conceived, begins as a desire. When it's fully grown, it brings forth death. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. so the, the devil can only offer us a counterfeit of what God really created. And that counterfeit feels good for a little while, but it always ends in death and corruption. But when mm-hmm. you do sexuality God's way, although it may seem it takes a little bit more sanctification and discipline, it is with the purpose that you'd experience pleasure forevermore. Right. 
mm. which is really the key difference, you know? So then yes. people realize, okay, it's not about denying myself pleasure. It's mm. about actually adding the greatest pleasure that there can be, you know, cause mm. that's what God intended. Um, that's so good. The best possible scenario for, yes. for a person. So I love how you said in the book, um, you were talking about, you know, there's a strong premise in the Bible that sex pre-existed sin. And if it pre-existed sin, then it was originally sinless. Um, And so it didn't have any trace of lust, selfishness, abuse, perversion. It was originally very good. Mm -hmm. And then you took this concept of how how sex was very good, which, I mean, we know that, right? But really thinking of it that way, that it predated sin. It pre-existed sin. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when, when God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful, and multiply, you talk about the Hebrew word for fruitful and and what that actually means in terms of the purpose for sex. Can you talk a little bit about that? We'll be right back to the interview, but first we wanted to share something that we are really excited about. So you know, we all have those times where we don't feel super connected to our spouse and we really don't know what conversations to have to get us to that connected place. And then on top of that, we're so busy that we don't prioritize those conversations. And that's why we created the monthly live date night. And Monthly Live Date Night is every month on a Friday night for 90 minutes, 60 minutes. It, we focus on a topic that uh, you guys pick. And then 30 minutes, we do a Q&A and it's live where we're all together asking questions and giving answers on topics related to your marriage, your intimacy. And we share tools. Uh, we have handouts that we call homework because we want you to be there to listen and to soak in. But we really want you to take action in your marriage, too. So come join us live for the next monthly live date night. Check the link in the show notes for dates and details. All right. Back to the interview. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So when we think of be fruitful, and multiply. Generally, that's like, oh, have a lot of kids, you know, which uh-huh. <laughs> obviously that's that's one piece of it. But mm-hmm. When God created Adam and Eve, he said he made them in his image. And if he created them and their capacity for a sexual relationship before sin came into the world, then the implication would be that when they would reproduce, they would be reproducing not just physical beings, Mm -hmm. not just physical beings with a spirit even, but they'd be reproducing people who are continually his image and likeness in the world. Right. And so he wanted to create more copies of Adam and Eve, which is really copies of himself. You know, mm-hmm. and so when he said, be fruitful and multiply, the Hebrew there is trying to say, reproduce what's in you, mm-hmm. you know, reproduce that, that image and likeness, the actual glory of God. Like you're actually <sighs> recreating, adding more of that, filling the world with the glory of the Lord. So if we're called to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Well, if God's dream for this planet is that the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord, then we're supposed to be filling the world with his glory, which is mm-hmm. in procreation itself, but also the reproduction of his image and likeness in our children. And, yeah. but again, it's not just about children because that image and likeness has to be reproduced in just the nature of your marriage first. Yes. So, so I understand then with, you know, with that in mind that when I'm pursuing a sexual relationship with my, my spouse, that we're not just doing this because God said to do it, to have children. We're doing this because it's about kind of feeding into our relationship, this love and this intimacy, that's going to add more of Christ, more goodness, because we Mm -hmm. have that attitude of worship. Then you Mm -hmm. imagine conceiving a child in that frame of mind, Mm -hmm. that posture of heart, there's real, real power in that. And so it's, 
amazing just to experience um, uh, this now because my wife is um, about 22 weeks pregnant. Oh, congrats. congrats. That's Thank awesome. You. And so we were thinking back because this is, you know, the first pregnancy and we're like so thankful that we could experience sexuality to conceive this baby because it's right. like we knew exactly what this was about, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and it made us realize that the conception of this child, it was actually birthed out of worship, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, and there's, there's just something about that, you know? Mm-hmm. So totally. yeah, that's what I'd say about that fruitfulness thing, you know? So Love that. it's so good. Tell us a little bit about, um, just talking about the shame that came into the world once sin mm-hmm. came and corrupted that, you know, beautiful guitar, mm-hmm. you know, it was meant for something, but then shame into the world. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Cause I think that's where a lot of people live too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing I think that's important to understand is that the first kind of kind of shame that entered the world was really a fear of God or not, not a fear as a reverence, but um, mm-hmm. an actual being afraid of God in a negative sense. Okay. When, when we read the story of Adam and Eve, we think, oh, the first kind of shame was they were ashamed of themselves. You know, mm-hmm. they wanted to cover themselves up. But actually, it's what happened second. The first thing that happened is they wanted to hide from God. Mm-hmm. So they're afraid of God and then they're ashamed of themselves. So they hide and then cover themselves up. Mm-hmm. And so what's what's important about this is that really what people have an issue with first before anything else when it comes to shame is that just uh, fear-based relationship with God. Mm. And so there's like this, I'm not sure that God is good or, or am, am I right in his sight? Is he happy with me? You know? Mm. And so, and people tend to experience this in, in the parents that they're raised by, because, you know, if my mom and dad, if, if I'm the problem, if, if I'm at fault because they were divorced or they are mistreating me, I did something wrong, you know? And so people, the, the, the beings that bring them into the world have a huge say in mm-hmm. what a child will believe about themselves. And so it's the kind of the same way with, in our relationship with God, where if we have a problem with ourselves, it really comes from a problem with God, because mm-hmm. if he is, you know, if he, by his wisdom, founded the world and in his perfect knowledge, created all that has the breath of life, then I'm supposed to be the actual output or manifestation of what is supposed to be his perfect wisdom and knowledge. Mm. If he's a faithful creator, then I'm supposed to be good, you know, Mm. very good because he said Mm. it was very good. Yeah. So if I'm ashamed of myself, what I'm saying is I'm not sure that God knows what he's doing. Mm. And, and so that's kind of the the creator. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If he made us, you know, Right. And so then when it comes to sexuality, I think what happens is people see what God made and we're so familiar with how what God has made has been perverted mm-hmm. that we've forgotten his original intention. And, and so we can read in Ecclesiastes that it says God made man upright, but he sought many schemes. And so the point is that when he made us, he made us good. He made us upright. And we've become so familiar with what sin has done to us that we have completely forgotten Mm. the uprightness that God originally put in us that was resurrected when we get born again and follow Mm -hmm. Jesus. And the way that Paul described it in Romans was that we're supposed to be uh, simple concerning evil. He says, he said, be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And what's Mm -hmm. happened is that we've become wise in what is evil. 
and hmm. ignorant concerning what is good, you know? Wow. And so what, what happens is, and I, this has frustrated me before because I'll be talking to Christians and everyone talks about like this, this is, you know, this, my struggle, sin did this to me, what I did, what this person mm-hmm. did to me. Um, and there's not a lot of talk around, okay, wait a second. You know, what did Jesus do for you? Who have you become? You're a new creation in Christ. All yes. things have been made new and all old things have passed away. So mm-hmm. you're talking so much about what passed away. You're bringing it back into your present and letting it define and identify you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so being born again, becoming a new creation means, you know, are, you're, you're, no, you're no longer identified by what you were right, or the sin that hurt you. Mm-hmm. And so put that aside. What are you now? Mm-hmm. You know? And what is yeah. sex now? Mm-hmm. And so the title for the book undefiled is trying to say Hebrews 13, the marriage bed is undefiled, which means without sin. So do you have any idea what it's like to experience something in life that is without sin? You know, because most Christians are like sin is everywhere and I'm going to mm-hmm. sin every day. And this is just my life. Well, mm-hmm. okay. But <laughs> like, if it says it's undefiled, it's undefiled, you know? Yep. And, yep. and so we're it's sinless. Right. Yeah. We're so familiar with sin yeah. and what it's done to us. We it's like Christians don't know how to experience sinlessness mm-hmm. in what God says there can be sinlessness. Right. Yeah. And it's that restores it back to the beginning. Yes. Where exactly. sin pre mm-hmm. you know, or sex pre existed sin. Yeah. I love that. I love how you made the distinction that they hid from God first, mm-hmm. which um it's really interesting thinking about it in context of a, uh, a relationship with a man and wife. Yeah. We know that intimacy, you know, can happen if both individuals put away the secrets, put away the um, kind of hiding things, yes. right? Yeah. Like we yeah. have to be completely open vulnerable, and vulnerable. And mm-hmm. that's the first thing we saw with, with humans and God. And that's what you're just saying. Like mm-hmm. we, we forget, we, we want to hide that sin from God rather than going to him with it. Right. Exactly. Yep. yep. And that yep. and that mirrors exactly how we gain intimacy with Christ. We receive his spirit when we fully surrender. We confess our sins, right? We don't yep. hide anything. We bring it to him. And and in that confession, we're fully known, we're fully loved. Then mm-hmm he will give us his spirit, right? It's a gift. So it's like, why is it then are humans so um, ready to like kind of box sexuality in this corner that's not touched by God's glory? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really important question. Really big question too. And I think the the reason why or what, what that says is, you know, the devil has actually been more or less, but as largely in the church, I would say successful in getting us to detach sex from the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that really says to us in addition is that he doesn't want us to sin just so that we hurt ourselves and die and are separated from God. Like ultimately, yeah, he wants us to be separated from God, mm-hmm. but in this present life, he wants sin to just mess things up so much that we lose our hope for it ever being recovered to what it ever was, or we lose our sight of it ever being recovered. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And, and so with, with sexuality in particular, um, I think it's that it's one of those things in the Christian walk that we have not yet f- fully and completely allowed 
God to expose and redeem for what it really is. And for the Christian, I think it's just entirely because we've seen it so perverted that we're afraid of kind of letting loose in that area. Mm-hmm. And that can get kind of unpredictable because it's like, you know, if I'm going to be bringing up what I went through and like, see that redeemed, that's a huge can of worms, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so you're going to have to say, Lord, like, it's not just confessing your own sins. It's confessing the fact that sex, you know, in darkness became sin Yeah. before I knew him. And he wants to bring it back to pre-sin, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it takes the decision for the Christian to, you know, understanding it says I'm to come boldly before the throne of grace I can go to him with this Mm -hmm. and I can let him show me what sex is really supposed to be and understand that if it preexisted sin, and if the Bible says all things are to be made new, all means all that certainly includes sexuality. And Mm -hmm. so my, my biggest hope um, for Christians through just really what's in scripture, but what I've kind of compiled in, in this book is, just that they would seek intimacy with God first. Cause I don't mm. want to put the cart before the horse, you know, mm. intimacy with God is the foundation of all of this right. and let him teach you what sex is supposed to be. And then bring that into your marriage and it is going to blow you away, you know? And that's awesome. Uh, you know, And ultimately the reason why, I want that to see happen is because the effect that that has on your relationship with God in turn, it just has this cyclical effect where mm-hmm. it's, you know, him, and then, you know, your spouse, and it causes you to know him better, which causes you to know your spouse better. And then it just, it's glory to glory. You know, most people think things get stale and it's like, mm-hmm. well, the Bible says, no, you go from glory to glory, you know, <laughs> yes. so at some point your cycles get... breaking down. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Such a good point, man. Well, thank you so much for all this wisdom where um where could people find you Mm -hmm. yeah so i am uh, pastoring a church called valiant church in new hope minnesota right now and we have a website um it's under what's called valiant ministries international Mm -hmm. but the website is valiantmi.com that's v-a-l-i-a-n-t-m-i.com if you go uh, forward slash store that's where you can find all the books that are available resources and also with Undefiled, there's also a, a small group discussion guide that goes with it. Awesome. And so, um, so with each chapter, there's discussion questions, if you will, mm-hmm. that are listed out. It gives you the core scriptures for um, each uh, question, I guess, or each mm-hmm. chapter. So whether it's with your spouse or in a group setting, um, you can read the chapter, ask yourself the questions, and all the questions are really deep. And they're supposed nice. to be. Because yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to get you to ask the questions that most Christians don't ask, you know. And I appreciate that about your work, David. And something I also appreciate about your work is that, um, and you kind of alluded to it just a couple minutes ago, is that there's um, there's so many scriptures throughout the book. Um, and it's also, you know, you're saying in this guide. But um, the book is not based on, because I'm doing a lot of research on this topic right now for my dissertation and a lot of it, you know, you need uh, an extensive, you know, literary background and you have to do a lot of the the research of what the uh, early church fathers said about sex and sexuality. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think there's a place for that, obviously, in academia. But in this book, it's not about like what 
the early church fathers said. What Anselm said. said. Right. It's <laughs> about what scripture says. Like you have this revelation and then you go to scripture to make sure like, is this what scripture said? And then you, you share about that. Mm-hmm. And I, I really love that about your book. I was kind of surprised by that because I'm not used to that kind of reading right now. And mm-hmm. I, I found it very refreshing. So thank you for keeping it very, very pure in that sense. Like this yeah. is just what scripture says about sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. One of my favorite yeah. verses is let God be true and every man a liar. <laughs> yes. Only three, four, you know? So you better <laughs> listen to those women. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Out of context. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. So uh, what other books could you recommend or would you recommend to people? Um, of my own or other, other authors. I'll just leave that open. Yeah. On this topic. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there's a couple I could recommend, um, in addition to undefiled, um, a second one that I've written that goes very closely together with undefiled is called Christ in the church. Okay. Okay. And that one's, uh, about the purpose of marriage in general. And Mm -hmm. so that gets a lot more into the intention that God had in the marital relationship and it reflecting the relationship between Christ and the church undefiled is about Christ and the church in the context specifically of sex, mm-hmm. but the uh, Christ and the church is specifically about the marriage. marriage okay. as a whole. Awesome. Nice. So it gets into a lot of just like more relational like issues that people mm-hmm. have. You know? So that's, it goes very closely together with undefiled. So I recommend that. Okay. Um, but even more than that, like I could recommend you the books that I've written. Um, sure. There's, you know, others, other authors too, that, and I think most of those other books are, are probably already, you know, popular, but mm-hmm. more than anything, like outside of all that, I have anybody's books, read the Bible. Because yes. <laughs> yes. I like a everything good book. that's in Undefiled, everything that I wrote in my notes and journals that became the, my books, Christ in the Church and Undefiled, it all just came from reading the Bible, yep. you know? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I, I read other people's books too, and they were great, but I was like, you know, this is somebody else's revelation. And I'm going to say that about my own book too. Mm-hmm. It is something that the Lord has taught me that you can glean from, yes. but because it was, you know, my own revelation, something I learned, mm. the only way it's really going to become real to you is if it becomes revelation to you personally through the word of God That's at good. face value directly, you know? Okay. Um, so speaking of bonus question here, yeah. <laughs> speaking of the word of God and just like, you're like, just read scripture. Um, mm. Your book ends with scripture is it's about the song of Solomon and you call it the epic conclusion. Talk to us about why you call the song of Solomon, your epic conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, I love using the word epic for that Um, (laughs) specifically because what you see in song of Solomon really is epic. It is (laughs) primarily because it is, it's a celebration. It's a song. It's beautiful, you know? And it's like, these two people are so unashamed and Mm -hmm. they're talking about their sex life. Okay. And they're getting into detail, you know? And Mm -hmm. if you just know kind of the allegories and and things that are used in, in song of Solomon, it's, you know, it's, it's quite explicit. And so they're very bold, you know, they're very bold about it. And the reason why I think that's epic is because it communicates to the Christian that, sex is worship and it's mm-hmm. beautiful, you know, and mm-hmm. the kind of love that they share, yeah. uh, these two characters in song of Solomon is a model or example 
to Christians, mm-hmm. what their sex life can be, you know? Yep. Yes. And yep. I always found it interesting, especially at the end of the book where, at the end of Song of Solomon, where the bride is talked about by her older brothers and, mm-hmm. you know, and they say she has no breasts. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, you know, whatever that's supposed to mean. Okay. Um, and, and then you see her talking about how she's kind of ashamed of her appearance and her skin is darkened, you know, yes. because being in the sun, working in her brother's vineyards and all that. Mm-hmm. And she just talks about her flaws and at least in one place. And her brothers mentioned that one flaw of hers. Mm-hmm. And then the groom comes along and he is just praising, you know, everything. Yep. And she talks, he talks about her breast too. And it's like, she thinks she's not beautiful. Mm-hmm. She likens herself to like a, a lily, just like that. There's, there's so many of us. Like, a, yeah, it's yeah. A common, a common lily. And then he's yeah. like, no, but you're, you're a rose among thorns uh-huh. sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so that was so powerful for me. Cause it just meant like, you really can just be so enraptured with your spouse, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of what you think um, defines, you know, sex appeal. From the world's mm-hmm. point of view. Like, mm-hmm. with that aside, God really can make you enraptured, just like Proverbs 5 says, you know. So, so. you know, when you experience the intimacy that God wants, that's all that you want. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, that's a perfect corollary to like God's relationship with us. If we can get so intimate with him, we won't want the world. Right. And if we can, and if we can get so connected with our spouse, we won't want any of the others, even though they're they are appealing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they become they lose their appeal for you. Mm-hmm. I think yep. that's that's so powerful. Yeah, man. Love well, it. thank you for all the wisdom and and the work that you've done. It's it's so evident and so good. Yes, we could totally recommend this book to everyone listening. Totally, we'll actually link it in the show notes along with the other books that David has written, um, so you can find it there as well as the website that he mentioned. All right, David, we're going to close out the podcast. We're going to ask you this question that we ask every interviewee, and that is uh, rewind back to the beginning of your marriage and think about advice that you wish you would have received, and then you'll fill in the blank, dear young married couple. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So um, I have this written down. Okay. Uh, I put some thought into it because I was like, man, how can I, how can I really nice. boil it down? But I would say, dear young married couple. There is nothing about your spouse that's ultimately going to determine whether or not you will stay married to them. Your commitment really depends solely on whether you have the love of God in your heart. Mm. That's what I would say. Because in my own marriage, everybody just so overemphasizes, what are they like? Why do you want to marry them? You know, Mm. what's what's Mm. the qualities that I just realized? You marry your dream spouse. Mm Mm-hmm there's still going to be temptations that come up. Yeah. You know, there's still going to be lies. Yeah. And aside from your spouse, do you know the love of God? Mm-hmm. And if you do, just like Jesus, you can be married to a really, really difficult bride and still make it through, you know? <laughs> yes. <And> so, <laughs> you know, yeah. That's good, David. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. We appreciate you. So and uh, we're looking forward to this podcast airing. We think it will impact people in a deep way. It will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you guys having me. All right, friends. We really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916 678 
1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at dearyoungmarriedcouple. And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week.